Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 3, 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anan near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life instead the wrath of God remains on him. One of the casualties of 2020 this year was the Summer Olympics. Who was looking forward to the Summer Olympics? Anybody? I was. Now, lest we lose heart, they've been postponed to next year, so next July. Uh, but we'll wait another 291 days uh, until NBC Sports can kind of take us from village to village and, and uh, we can watch all the events. But one thing, as much as I've as much as I enjoy watching the Olympics, one thing that they don't do that I've always wished that they did was that I wish that they would have one just normal person compete in every event. Like just a normal guy, right? Okay, so like what would be so bad about just reserving lane 10 of the 100 meter freestyle for doggy paddle Joe so that he can just kind of like Let's just see what this is like, you know, because as I'm watching it, I'm like, I know what I'm watching is great. Like, these are tremendously talented athletes, but I don't have a point of reference. Like, I need to go, like, what, how great actually are they? It would be helpful to have a point of reference. It, it's kind of like, so I went, to, I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and at the time... So our WRC was called the Solheim Center. And I believe at the time it was like the second largest indoor basketball facility in the city, which meant that when the Chicago Bulls were playing at home, the team that they were playing would come practice at the Solheim Center. So one day, unbeknownst to me, me and my friend are playing racquetball and he is just destroying me, okay? Like absolute bloodbath, destroying me. And like any good college guy, when you defeat a friend in an athletic competition, he's letting me know how terrible I am, right? Like 
tons and tons of trash talk and I'm just taking it because I deserve it. And I do the same thing to him if, if this was flipped. So we get done with that game. I've just been destroyed. We come out of the court. We're walking down the hallway to the drinking fountain and around the corner come the Boston Celtics which kind of like stopped us in our tracks, which I'm like, why don't you guys have water in there? Why are you coming to get a drink? So we're standing at the drinking fountain with the Boston Celtics. Like this is pre-LeBron, so it wasn't, you know, that great, I guess. But still, these guys were massive. I mean, you see them on TV and it's like, yeah, they're tall, but everyone's tall. So how tall is tall? These guys were like woolly mammoths coming around the corner. You know, it, like, it's like in Space Jam, they were the Monstars, we were the Toon Squad, like minus Michael Jordan, okay? And so we're just standing next to these guys, just like, oh my gosh. And my trash talking friend here doesn't have a lot to say anymore, <laughs> right? Because, and here's why. Because compared to me, he was great. Compared to them, we are nothing. Like, we're not athletes compared to these guys. We're just, we're just some losers playing racquetball, right? And here's the thing. Why, why is that? It's because greatness is always determined by your point of reference. Greatness is always determined by your point of reference. And here in our passage this morning, we see John the Baptist enter the picture again. And here's what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. And he says this in Luke 7, verse 28. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Like John the Baptist. Among those born of women, no one's greater than John. This is Jesus Christ saying this about a person. And so the question that we have to answer this morning is what is true greatness according to Jesus? What is true greatness according to Jesus? So if you haven't opened up yet, open to John chapter three. We're gonna be in there this morning. And remember, like, as we're going through the book of John, here we are in chapter three. Jesus has just finished having a dialogue with Nicodemus. That's what we saw last week. And now Jesus and his disciples have gone to the Judean countryside and have come to a body of water where he and his disciples are baptizing. Well, actually, what we're gonna see in chapter four is that Jesus himself isn't baptizing. It's his disciples who are baptizing. But nevertheless, Jesus is there kind of as like the rabbi representative of what's going on. So Jesus' disciples are baptizing, and because there's so much water, John the Baptist's disciples, John the Baptist and his disciples are also here baptizing. So here's John, and just right over there, like a stone's throw away, is Jesus also with his disciples baptizing. So what we see in verse 25 is that John's disciples got into a dispute with a Jew over purification. We don't exactly know outside of that what this dispute was about, but something within that conversation brought up something important that John's disciples now ran to John to tell him about. And we see that here in verse 26, John 3, verse 26. Here's what his disciples say. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Like, can you just hear the anxiety in their voices, like they're out of breath, they're seeing what Jesus is doing and they're running to John going like, Rabbi, they don't even say Jesus' name. Like they're just like, the one that you talked about, like that guy over there, the guy that you talked about earlier, John, he's doing your thing. 
Like that's your last name, isn't it? You're John the Baptist. It's not Jesus the Baptist, but he's over there like doing your thing and everyone, you know how you exaggerate when you're like worked up? Everyone is going to him, everyone. John, this is your thing. He's doing your thing and getting more attention for it. What in the world is going on? If we don't have baptism, if we don't have people coming for us to baptize, then what in the world do we have, John? Isn't it easy to celebrate someone else's else's success when they're succeeding in something that isn't your thing? It's kind of like, it's it's easy for me to celebrate uh, my wife when she hits like her running goals you know, or it's easy for me to celebrate when like, when like Stacy and Alexa, you know, ran a marathon yesterday. It's like, well, that's great. Like, cause running isn't my thing. Like running is for uh, like moving away from danger. Like if a bear is chasing you, then it's okay to run. If that's not happening, why are you running? Like, what's the point of that? You know, at least rollerblade, like that's easier, right? Like running isn't my thing. So I can celebrate that, like, good for you, that's awesome. Great that you run, run 100 miles, I don't care. Like, doesn't threaten me. But when someone else gets more attention or does a better job at something that is your thing, that is the thing that you're known for or the thing that you want to be known for, when Stephen gives a better sermon and you like it, because he's a great preacher. I wonder if that's why, uh, for some of you moms, if that's why it can be difficult when you log on to your social media and half of your newsfeed is filled with a bunch of other people also doing your thing, also being a mom of young kids. But doesn't it seem like that they're doing a better job? Doesn't it seem like that they're a better mom, that they're having more fun, that, that their kids are more obedient. Like, how do you get these perfect pictures? Like, my kids won't even give me the time of day. Like, doesn't it seem like their makeup is perfect, their hair is perfect, their house is clean? They're doing your thing. And the siren of comparison awakens the monster of envy because we've attached our identity to the attention we get or the associations we have. Like our identity is based on like how much attention am I getting from people outside or how much attention is the, is the thing or the person that I associate with? How much attention are they getting? And when that diminishes, like, oh, that threatens me. Like you don't like what I like? That must mean you don't like me. This can be so, so easy as a pastor. Like Candeo Church, we are a multi-generational church with a next generation focus. We have a vision particularly to reach college students because we see that as like the most strategic time in a young person's life to be, able to, to be able to have them interact with the gospel for their life to be flipped upside down by Jesus and for them to be here for four years equipped and then leave this place to go to the ends of the earth to take this life-changing, powerful message of the gospel with them. Like that is our thing. College ministry is our thing. And we pray and we plead and we beg that God, would you move across the campus? Would you use us to reach as many colleges as we possibly can that hundreds and thousands of students would come to know Christ? And what if God answered that prayer? 
What would happen if revival swept through you and I, Wartburg and Hawkeye? What would happen? What if he answered that prayer, but he decided to not use Candeo to do it? What if thousands of students came to Christ, but he used a different ministry to do it? Would we still be just as excited about that? Or would it be difficult for us to praise God because our name isn't attached to his movement? Rabbi, he's doing your thing. He's doing our thing. Everyone's going to him. What do you have to say about that? Look at what John says here in verse 27. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. As if to say like, guys, could you chill out for a second, right? Like, don't forget that all that we have has been given to us. What do we have that has not come from the hand of another? What do we have that has not been given to us? All of the gifts, all the opportunities, all the influence, all the abilities. Like what do we have that hasn't come from somebody else? It reminds me of Jerry Seinfeld when he was in an interview, uh, he recounted a time when his kids came up to him and, and asked, dad, are we rich? To which he replied, I am rich. You have nothing. <laughs> like everything that they had came from the hand of another. What do we have that has not been given to us? And John uses an incredible analogy, kind of like a parable in a sentence to 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 put on display this amazing truth. Look at verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The groom's friend, probably the closest, you know, equivalent that we have today is like the best man, but even more so than, than like best men today. Like back in the ancient Near East, if you were like that best man, the groom's friend, you were the master of ceremonies. You were like the wedding planner. You were the one who like orchestrated all the things that were going to happen at the wedding day. Like it was your job to make sure that everything went off without a hitch, that everything went as plan, that the bride and groom, like, were obviously married and were happy and that all the guests were having a great time. Like, that was your job. And while you were in that position, you could do a lot of things. Like, that position was one of a lot of power, of a lot of influence. But there was one thing that the best man couldn't do, and that was marry the bride. You can do anything to make sure that this day goes well, except marry the bride. See, you and I know that even today, the whole point of a wedding day, that the whole point of the wedding party is to make sure that the bride and groom are having a good time and is to make sure that the focus is placed on the bride and groom. Like, we know this. Like, it would be weird for us, especially during the ceremony, right? It would be really strange for us if we went to a wedding ceremony and there was something just blatantly distracting 
your attention away from the bride and the groom. That would seem odd. That would seem wrong. It would seem out of place. It was a, it was a few years ago. I, I used to do like wedding videography on the weekends. And so within a course of a few years, I did like 50 weddings. It was bananas. And so I've been to a lot of weddings, okay? And so one of the most memorable moments that I had while I was, while I would be like videoing these weddings, it'd be me and the photographer, is that we went to this wedding and we were shooting this wedding, having a good time. And, and the uncle of the bride, for some reason, thought he was part of the photography crew. Like, like he had his camera from Best Buy and he's like, you know, hanging along, like thinking he's like with us. And we're just like, dude, Come on. Which, by the way, if, you're, if they haven't hired you to take pictures at the wedding, you can just relax. <laughs> like, they got it covered. I promise you their pictures are better than what you got on your iPhone, okay? Just chill. Like, they're going to get great pictures, all right? But anyways, so the ceremony starts. Things are, things are going fine. And, you know, it's, it's going as it should until all of a sudden, what we see on the other side of our camera, it's no longer the bride and the groom, just them. It's the bride and the groom and awkward uncle. Like, it's that. No joke. I did not Google that. This was like our picture, okay? This is what happened. It's like Uncle Jeff hanging out in the trees, chilling on the rocks, just Captain Morgan the whole time, right? <laughs> And we're like, what is going on? Like, what? The whole ceremony. He's chilling up there. Guess who we were focused on the whole time? Wasn't the bride and the groom. They looked great. It's awkward uncle. Right up there in the picture. See, what John is saying to his disciples and what John is saying to us this morning when he says he must increase and I must decrease is John is saying there is no place in following Jesus for photobomb faith. Like you have been gifted. You have been given certain gifts. You have been given certain positions of leadership, certain positions of influence. You have been given things within your family, possessions. Like all that you have has come from the hand of another and it has not been given to you for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself. But it has been given to you for the purpose of pointing to the good hand of the giver. There is no place in the Christian life for photobomb faith. He must increase and we must decrease. But here's the lie that we believe. The lie that we believe is that we will be happy if we fight with all our might to be first place in everything. That's the lie. Fight with all your might to be first place in everything and you'll be happy. Because after all, you're the author of your story. You're the captain of your ship. You're the ruler of your life. You're the king of your castle. Like the only thing that, that matters is what you think about you. And the only way you'll be happy is if you are constantly focused on making sure that you have as high of self-esteem as possible. Self-esteem, isn't that an interesting word? Self-esteem, the greatest virtue 
of the modern world. And yet, somehow, depression and suicide rates continue to rise. Why is that? It's because we were not created to bear the weight of glory that only God can carry and that only God deserves. We weren't created to bear that weight. But here's the gospel truth. Here's the gospel truth to fight that lie. The gospel truth this morning is that the call to a self-diminishing, Christ-exalting life is not a call to misery, but it's in fact a call to greater joy. The call to self-diminishing, Christ-exalting living is not a call to misery. It's a call to greater joy. That's what John says in verse 29. So this joy of mine is complete. This joy, the joy as the groomsman, like the joy, like I am just the, I am just the table preparer. I just prepare the arrangements and then get out of the way. This joy, the joy of seeing Christ united with his church as I stand to the side and just enjoy it. This joy of mine is complete. The best man who makes the arrangements and gets out of the way because the reality is, is that your life is not ultimately about you. It's not ultimately about me. It's not about Candeo, it's not about Salt Company because the truth is that at some point, take this for like discipleship relationships, okay? Maybe you're a leader, maybe you're a Salt Company leader who leads a connection group, maybe you're just a connection group leader on the community. Like what a great opportunity that God has given us to like leverage our gifts and our influence to be able to help others grow in their knowledge and joy in Christ. But at some point in your discipleship relationship, you have to move out of the way. Like they can't be codependent on you for their spiritual life. You must diminish so that Christ would increase. It's the seesaw of the Christian life. Like there is no category where like Christ increase, Christ increases and I increase. None. One of us is increasing, which means that the other is decreasing. Christ must increase and we must increase. You see, your testimony, if you've come to know Christ in this context, your testimony is not that you were lost in your sin and then you found Candeo. That you were lost in your sin and then you found Salt Company. No, your testimony is that you were lost in your sin and then Christ found you. And praise God that he would use a ministry to like point you to Christ, but make no mistake, we are not the savior. Fix your eyes on the Savior, not on the servant. We are simply signposts to the great destination of Jesus Christ. Christ goes up, we go down. So, why in the world would John say this? Like, how can John have this kind of perspective about himself? How can John delight in the decrease? Three reasons. We, when we get to verse 31, we switch from hearing from John the Baptist to hearing from John the author. And what John the author does is in the next few verses, he gives us three reasons why John the Baptist can say this. The three reasons are Christ must increase because of where he's from. 
because of what he says and because of what's at stake. Where he's from, what he says, and what's at stake. So real quick, the first reason that Christ must increase is because of where he's from. And where is he from? We see in verse 31 that Christ is from above. That though Jesus was on this earth, he was not from this earth. You see, remember, greatness is about your point of reference. And John's disciples saw their role and their worth in relation to another earth dweller. Like they saw their role and their worth in relation to John. So when John's ministry diminishes, their worth diminishes. But John didn't see it that way. John wasn't living his life comparing himself to others who are from the earth. No, John saw himself in perspective to, in relation to how he saw himself with one who is from above, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is from above, he must also increase because of what he says. We see this in verse 32 through 34, that Jesus is from above and that he speaks with authority concerning heavenly things. He can speak with authority. Jesus speaks truth concerning heavenly things. He has the authority to do that because he is from heaven. Like when you're from somewhere, you have the authority to speak on behalf of that place or to speak concerning that place. It's kind of like, so uh, we would, my wife and I would come home for like Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever. And as we're driving back to Chicago, there was inevitably, we're, we're on I-55 and the closer you get to the city, it seems as though it doesn't seem this is what happens. Like the speed continues to increase, though the speed limit doesn't change, right? Like you keep going, the flow of traffic keeps getting faster. It's kind of like, like people just stop caring. You know, it's like, I'm, I just got to get there. So though the speed limit is 55, you're going like 80 just to keep up, okay? It never failed that as we're on I-55 heading into the city, we'd come around a corner and all of a sudden it's bumper to bumper traffic. Like going five miles an hour, right? And you slam on your brakes. You're like, what is going on? Why? You know, so imagine that my wife and I, that we are flying down I-55 and we've got the radio on and on the radio comes the traffic report. And in that traffic report, they go to their eye in the sky, like the guy in the helicopter, right? And he says, hey, this just happened, 20 car pile up three miles from where we're at. Like that's what he's saying. But suppose that we say, while we're speeding along, like everything's fine. I don't see anything. You mean to tell, who are you way up there to tell me about what I ought to do down here? You're not in my car. You don't know my life. Like you don't know, you're not even down here. Like you way up there seem to think you know everything. That'd be absurd, wouldn't it? Why? Because it's precisely because he is from above that he can speak with authority concerning things below. Because he knows things we don't know because he can see things we don't see. And what Jesus could see from above is that all of humanity is headed into a deadly pileup if we don't listen to his direction. 
That's verse 36. Where he's from, what he says, what's at stake. Verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The one who believes in the Son has present tense eternal life. You see, here's the thing. There's no option, there's no category where you can not make a decision about Jesus. Like that, that just isn't an option. Like you might say, I, I mean, I don't believe in Jesus, but I don't reject him. I'm kind of, yeah. There's no category for that. Here's why. Imagine you're sitting across the table from your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you, for the first time, you muster up the courage to look them in the eye and say, I love you. And then imagine that they just sit there and stare at you. Or they go, okay. <laughs> that would crush you. Why? Like, it's not like they said they hate your guts, you know? It's not like they said that. But the reason it would crush you is because you know that for them to not respond to your love is the same exact thing as rejecting it. Same exact thing. There is no category where you sit on the fence about Jesus. You either receive him or you reject him. Have you believed in Jesus Christ today? Have you received the free gift of life in Jesus Christ today? Receive Christ, because if you don't, what's at stake is that the wrath of God remains on you. Notice he doesn't say will be placed on you, doesn't, doesn't say like, like could be on you. It says remains like we are born into the state of being under God's wrath. We are born as sinners deserving of God's wrath. Like the wrath to reject God, that wrath that was on us will remain on us. That's the bad news. But don't miss the good news this morning. The good news is that there was one who was from above who saw all of us on a head-on collision course to God's wrath. In this one from above, Jesus Christ, seeing us on a collision course with God's wrath, left his heavenly position and came to earth to collide with God's wrath on our behalf so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Believe in Jesus Christ this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ this morning. He collided with God's wrath so that you could collide with God's grace. Receive Christ this morning if you haven't received him. For those of you who have received Christ, see the upside down truth of the kingdom. The upside down truth of the kingdom that the path of joy is not a race to the top. 
It's not a race to attention. It's not a race to being seen as great in the eyes of other earthly dwellers. No, the path of joy is in fact a race to the bottom. The greatest joy that you can receive in this life is being a table setter, a signpost, a pointer to the greater point. Church, Christian, he must increase and we must decrease. And would we live in such a way that our names would be forgotten so that his would be remembered, that our names would be made less so that his name would be made grace? Would we live in that way? I'd love to pray for us to that end. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for leaving your heavenly throne, the one from above and coming to earth to bear the weight of God's wrath on our behalf so that we could receive fullness of life. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, anyone who has not received Jesus Christ, I pray that you would create a discontentment, a discomfort in their heart and soul that you would move them to receive Christ as their savior this morning. And God, by your spirit, would you help us to live in such a way that we delight in the decrease for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.